Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Scott. And today's episode is brought to you by Danner Boots. Uh, This is a product I have used personally around the world. So has Matt. Uh, I have some great memories of crossing the Namib Desert in some of their desert boots. But today we're going to talk about the new Logger 917, which was inspired by the classic pattern and lines of Danner's original caulked logging boots made in the Pacific Northwest. Built with Danner's trusted quality and durability, the Logger 917 is designed to ensure you're comfortable and dry wherever your overlanding takes you. With a Gore-Tex waterproof liner and Vibram SPE rubberized EVA midsole, the Logger 917 offers performance, waterproofing, and lightweight comfort, all in a rugged yet refined style. So thanks again to Danner for supporting this podcast, and let's get on to the episode. And we're not only recording for Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that you may choose to listen to a podcast, we also now have YouTube. We have live video feed. people. YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. So that's why I'm wearing a hat, just to spare you all. Well, because I wore a hat, so you had to wear a hat. No, it's mostly the glow from my bald head is why Mm. I'm wearing a hat. Yeah, I was trying to hide my luscious blonde locks, but you know. (laughs) I do not have locks of any kind. (laughs) What what can we do? (laughs) So So yeah, what are we going to talk about today? We're talking about planning your first overland adventure. And and I really like this, this concept. I mean, I think that we do tend to pontificate about international travel and these significant explorative trips, but it all starts somewhere. Like I remember my, my first overland trip, my first four wheel drive trip. What was your first notable overland trip? The one that you really remember being afraid and under planned. And I mean, I, you know, I I'm originally from Chicago for those that don't know. And my, my first real thing was when I moved out here to work for expedition portal, like 10 years ago. And I honestly have to say it was loading up my super, super janky TJ which at the time I didn't even know was janky. I thought it was, I thought it was the panty dropper. It was ignorance. Ignorance really is cool. But it had like a eight inch long arm lift and 35s. And like, I remember probably had some kind of tube door on it. It broke a lot. I remember going through like Mexican hat, Utah, which is now a place that I don't even blink to go through. And I'm like, Oh my God, if I break down here, I'll be on expedition. (laughs) But uh, the the point that I'm going is everybody starts somewhere. And I think that we've both made a lot of mistakes. I mean, you were saying that you had enough, you had enough fuel to go to Cleveland when you did, when you did your first trip. I did. My first memorable longer distance overland trip was El Camino del Diablo in Southern Arizona. And it is about 150 miles or so between fuel points and you do get fairly remote and you run a lot of it along the, along the Mexican border. And I definitely had enough fuel to do the trip probably four, (laughs) four times. I had it strapped to the, I had every like lawn gasoline container and they were all the wrong size. And like none of them was a NATO can. They were all, they all leaked and they, none of them would strap down and they all swelled because of the, the corrugations the heat, and the heat and, the and everything. pressure changes and <laughs> yeah and I, and I towed a trailer filled with a bunch more stuff that I didn't need. I mean it's amazing that that little troop Did you have your ice axe with you for the desert? I think I did. I think I did. I think I had an ice axe and about five compass and yeah, I, yeah. everything. It 
the point here is that you can, you can do a lot with surprisingly little. And I think that sure. um, that's really what we're both trying to say is that you don't, you, you don't have to be over-prepared. You just have to not be under-prepared. I think that that's, that's a big thing. And it's, it's totally okay to recognize that you have anxiety about doing, you know, your first extended off-road trip. I certainly did. I remember feeling like that I didn't have enough information. I was worried I was going to get lost. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen if I broke down. I do remember feeling that anxiety. And I, and I also, I think it's just important for people to also give themselves some grace. If you do take enough fuel to go to Cleveland, it's just okay. If, if that is what enables you to do the trip, you know, cause I think one of the things that we were talking about is it's, it's generally not just the driver. Um, you know, there's a lot of other people involved in the trip and, you know, let's say your wife's driving and you're the one in the passenger seat that is absolutely terrified of running out of gas. If, if that makes the passenger more comfortable. Yeah. Bring some more fuel along, bring some more fuel, whatever. Like it's, it's not going to hurt anybody. Eschew the people who are overly critical because sure. I assure you 90% of those people just probably haven't done half the things they claim to do. Maybe that's the wrong way to say it, but they're not as experienced as they love to portray to be. There are a lot of internet experts. So just, yeah, be gentle on yourself and recognize that we've all started from somewhere. Even that person on the internet that's espousing all of their knowledge, yeah. they started with their first trip as well. And I do remember being anxious and I remember being worried and I remember over planning some parts of it and under planning other parts of it. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about on this on this podcast is just go local first. Yeah, go close enough to home where if something doesn't work, the tent breaks or the stove doesn't light or whatever, you can you can drive home and still enjoy the rest of your weekend and learn from that. And it doesn't mean don't go for it. I mean, there have been people. I think about the first overland trip; those guys that drove from from London to Singapore, yeah. they had no real experience. They just set off uh, Karen and Coon. Um, the Wubbles that have that yellow uh, FJ45 that we all admire and uh, not only adore their vehicle, but they, they've had these amazing trips. When they left on their overland trip was the first time they had ever done a trip. So they left yeah. their home and started driving east to take the Silk Road, and they had never overlanded before of any note. So that's amazing to me. It just shows that sometimes if you don't know What's coming that can also empower you to just do it. And, and I think savor that first trip. I mean, I, I'm talking about that trip when I drove out West for my first time and I'm camping here and I'm doing this and I went through Moab and I thought Moab was this crazy place. Um, now I, I, I wish I could have that. I'm, I'm not saying I wish I could have the anxiety that came along with planning for sure. that. But I wish I could have that excitement. That newness. This, this trip, your first overland trip, has the potential to be your best, right? You know, savor, savor the things that go wrong. You know, there's that saying, adventure doesn't start and, and something until goes something goes wrong. <laughs> sure. Um, but it's kind of true. I mean, I I've we've both been on trips where, you know, we've we've done this a few times and we plan them to the nth degree. And I don't want to say that they're boring, they're very enjoyable. Um, but I, but I, but I miss those, those rookie mistakes, those, those new things that, you know, you can't replicate seeing something 
for the first time in such a different way. Sure. I mean, I was a kid from the suburbs of Chicago that, you know, had dreamed of driving past the continental divide. I had never really camped. I had never really done, you know, a lot of the things that I wanted to do, but you know, you, you just, you have to do your first trip Yep. and don't hold yourself to be too critical. I think that that's, that's, that's just super important. And I, I love it that I still make tons of mistakes. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I did the bigger, maybe more um, serious trips where there was a lot of consequence, I yeah. probably over planned because it was necessary. Like when you're in Greenland though, yeah. and you, you have to under plan yeah. legitimately people can die. Yeah. Right. Um, and that was definitely true of Antarctica and it even regulations required a certain degree of planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like it now when, like, for example, when I did that trip on the motorcycle to Swaziland and I've got a little, just one bag strapped to the yeah. back and we've kind of spread our tools out between the three of us and we really don't have a plan and we were getting lost and it was just, it was perfect because it felt comfortable yeah. to be in that state of chaos. And I think that that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about on this podcast is that inherently things will not go as planned and that's okay. And it's okay because we oftentimes have people with us. We have our, our partner, or we have our kids, possibly our families with us, maybe a parent um, that when things don't go well or that brand new GPS stops working or, or we forget, I mean, the last trip that I went on, I forgot all of my maps. Um, and at first I got frustrated with myself, but then I just thought I'm doing something wonderful with somebody yeah. that I care about. Why shouldn't I just let that go? And if I get lost, it's okay because I've got an in reach and I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Mogollon rim. I'm not going to get that lost. (laughs) Eventually I'm going to bump into a road. Eventually there will be a UTV filled with Coors Light that goes by. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, you kind of talked about family in, in, in the process. And I think that that's something that, you know, that I've learned is it's, it's just important to involve other people in the planning. Um, you know, it's, it's not all about the person behind the wheel. And I think that if more people knew that going out, um, more people would be doing this. Yeah. Um, The more you engage your family, like for example, if, if your husband, he's hesitant to go camping, he doesn't know how to drive a manual. He's not really an outdoors guy. And you're, you're like, I, I really want to go on this trip. Take him out and show him how to drive a manual. Make that be part of the fun. Um, show him a little bit more of how the camping gear works, how to light the stove or whatever, so that he feels more yeah. comfortable as your passenger when you take him out into the back of beyond. Yeah. And, and, and learn how to shit in the woods. I know that that sounds, yeah. <laughs> that's a really big thing. But did I know how to effectively and properly do that when I first started going camping? No, but it's like one of those things like, oh, he doesn't know how to go in the woods. Like, yeah, okay, cool. You learn. It's something that humans have been doing for a really long time. You know, it does kind of come naturally once you. Yeah, it does come naturally. So, you know, but, but maybe that was a crude example, but the point being that, um, well, you always talk with a Dunning Kruger effect, you know, it's the, the more, you know, the more you realize you know, you know that now. you don't actually yeah. know as much as you think you do. Right. And there's this weird bell curve of, of people that um, love to talk smack to beginners because they were one five minutes ago, five yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. So, you know, don't listen to those people. Um, 
you know, recognize people's fears, recognize people's shortcomings and, and figure it out. Maybe, maybe that means that you go, you know, you go camping in a state park next to your house for a night just to sort stuff out, out how, yeah. the, how you set the tent up and how you figure out how to put the car into low range or, 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 or whatever it, that means. Um, just don't be afraid of the first time. Um, I mean, certainly, um, I, I think there's a lot of people in the community that, um, you know, would, would love to help, but yeah, absolutely. And I think also what I recognized in the beginning was that I was doing a lot of the trips that I was doing, a lot of the activities around the trips that I was doing was I was emulating people that I either aspired to be, or I deeply respected. And I realized that, um, that that's often a mistake that the best thing to do is sit down with your partner, sit down with your family, sit down with yourself. If you're solo traveling and really decide what it is that makes you happy, that, that gets you excited about being a traveler. Is it that you love history? Is it that you really love good food and in crazy places? And you know, you've, you've watched a lot of Anthony Bourdain, who's a great person to that aspire was, to be. A, hu- a huge motivation for me was, was the food. I, I look at people that have like mountain house, little freeze dried meals when they're camping and they like, they're convinced that that's cool. I'm like, you don't need it. I mean, maybe have a couple of them for an emergency, but never. Yeah. I mean, and there's better. I'd rather emer- starve. <laughs> yeah. I figure I can, I could probably last a while out there in the, yeah. in the back of behind. always bring water. Don't yeah. bring freeze dried food when you have a car to transport yeah. real food. Yeah, for um, sure. But then other people like, but if you're comfortable with that, totally. Yeah. If it makes you feel like that you're a little more prepared or if you're going someplace super remote again, uh, back to, Antarctica and Greenland, there's only so much fresh food that you can take along for over a no, month of travel. So no foie gras, no, no champagne. Gras. No, no. Oh, disappointing. No. I think we did, we did have some, some, uh, Shackleton's whiskey for the South pole. Thanks to Chris Collard. So hmm. yeah, but we did, we didn't have much as far as luxury. Back to starting in the state park next to your house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. What, what are the things that actually interest you? Right. Um, you know, and, and we're going to kind of move into how to plan that trip. And I think that this is I, I guess maybe a little bit of an interesting of a segue, a, a, For sure. a little bit ahead of plan, but um, you know, I love Google, my maps. It's basically a, a feature within Google maps. Um, and it allows you to, I mean, I guess save waypoints. Um, you can uh, save POIs, you can save waypoints, you can import XML files, you can import KML files. You can export both of those file formats as well. You can plan and draw entire routes it's super powerful. It's a super accessible free tool that for most things that I feel a beginner is going to do, it allows you to actually see on the map where the gas stations are, where the grocery store is, yep. where the state park, you know, where, where the state park check-in office is, where, you know, all of these things like the world is on Google maps. If it's not on Google maps, it, it doesn't essentially exist. Now I will say that um, if you are planning a more technical four wheel drive route, like you're going to go and you're going to, man, I don't, I don't need Kenzie trail or yeah, yeah. S- something a little bit more core. Um, you might be better served by Gaia or Onyx or, or something like that. But when it comes to just compiling data for travel, not necessarily purely off road, um, you know, recreational sport, four wheel driving. I always start in Google and then I will transfer things 
elsewhere. Um, you know, for and, it, and it translates, you can do all of that planning in Google, my maps, which by the way, for those of you who are subscribers to Overland journal magazine, uh, when you see a map in Overland journal, they were all create all of the base files were created in Google, my maps, because it's such an easy way to share it's information. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you can collaborate with people, yep. you know, again, pulling on that community. One of the things that even I do, um, I'll use Baja, for example, I really love Baja. Baja is a place that you can spend a lifetime going to, and you could never on your own compile a, a sufficient amount of knowledge. It's, Oh, take this little track to this little beach where you're going to meet this guy and he's going to unlock the gate for you. You know, with Google My Maps, you can literally go to somebody that um, maybe you know that has been down there a few times and, hey, th- this is where we're thinking about going. Could you mark a few places on the map for me? Yeah, you it, can share it with them. It can be collaborative. And, it, and since it is Google and it's not a more... Um, uh, specific app, um, it's accessible to everybody. Everyone can use Google. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is going to have Onyx or Gaia or a, a variety of these things. Hema, if you're in Australia or, or, or sure. something, it's just, it's really easy to plan. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're recording this during the whole COVID thing. You know, we were hoping to be in Alaska basically now, you know, for a few months this summer. And one of the things that I've been going back and I'm adding to this Google My Maps, like that's how I'm planning, particularly those trips where you're, you're covering long distances where you have to interact with civilization. You have to know where, okay, cool. Well, if I'm going to go to Kino City in the middle of the Yukon, I, I actually need to know where I need to get gas. And that's really, really easy um, to do on Google My Maps. That's not something that you could do on Gaia or Onyx. They just don't, they don't have that data available. Um, I, I, and I love how you can switch back and forth between satellite images oh, yeah. and their base maps. So if you're a little uncertain, okay, where does that trail peel off from the highway? Yeah. You can switch over to satellite and sure enough, it's right there, plain as day. You can drop a waypoint and then you can take that whole project and export it as a KML file, KMZ file, XML file as well. And most of those can be consumed by both Gaia and Onyx or HEMA if you're yeah, in Australia. And, and if you want a dedicated device, I mean, some, some people just don't want to have things on their phone like that Garmin Overlander. Um, you can plan things, I think, on Garmin's website. Correct. I have a lot of friends that use that. I think it has iOverlander built in. It does. All those POIs are built yeah, in. And, and iOverlander is a fantastic application and website. Um, I use it frequently. Um, I think, you know, again, uh, not to keep bringing up anxiety, but I think there's a lot of anxiety that comes into your first overland trip and knowing where you're camping as far as planning a route. Um, I think that that is, that is where you start. You have to, you kind of have to know where you're sleeping. I, I think once you've done it a few times, you can kind of learn to go with the flow and Oh yeah, well we made it a little bit further, so we're going to find another spot up here or or wherever that may be. Um, using tools like iOverlander, two three years ago, it was not the resource it was. Now, if you want to find cool, you know, vehicle based camping specific spots, iOverlanders, wonderful. I use it all the time now. I I started using it only this year. I did a trip 
um, because of, again, the scenario that we're in right now as a, as a global community, uh, I haven't been able to travel internationally. So I hopped in an earth cruiser and started going up and down the Oregon coast yeah. and, and I was just letting it totally be serendipitous. And sure enough, you pull up I overlander and here's a perfect little camp spot right there on the coast. And there is one thing that comes to mind though, on a lot of these community-based tools is we have to be very careful around overuse. We have to be super cautious to leave places better, better than we found yeah. them. If you see trash there, it is your responsibility to pick it up. 100%. Because um, there's no question about that. I wouldn't consider any argument to the contrary. If there is trash at an iOverlander spot, you are an overlander that's using a tool to get there and it's the place has been trashed. Take the 15 minutes, pull out a trash bag and clean it up because people that are in that local area are going to associate iOverlander and overlanders yeah. with that trash, whether it came from an overlander or not. And also, if you can find other campsites nearby, don't camp at the one where the pin's been dropped to start to distribute some of the, um, the impact into other locations as well. So we do have responsibility as travelers when we use tools like that. Yeah. And, and I think iOverlander is, um, but it's just a hugely powerful tool. I Very mean, helpful. To be able to plan, oh, well, there's a little turnoff here where you can camp outside of town. It's, it's just huge. And, and I think, um, you know, try to not set the expectations for your first adventure, for your first overland journey too high. Um, if you are, you know, thinking that you're going to be Ranel Fines the first time you leave Iowa, you, you're probably not. It's you might a, lose a few more fingers than he did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the point being, keep yourself comfortable, keep yourself sane, you know, consider everybody that is in your entire party. They may not have the same, you know, tough constitution that you do. So don't feel like you have to right off the bat, go for the most remote, most technical trip. And, and I think it goes without saying, like, if you are going to go off road and you don't have a lot of experience, you know, look up the I4 WDTA. It's the International Four Wheel Drive Trainers Association. They are a great place to start for getting proper training. Yep. Um, if there isn't an I4 WDTA person, I'm not saying that they have to be an I4 WDTA person. They are really the, the only major governing body governing sure. body um so it's a great place to start for recommendations but you know find a local four-wheel drive club find a a local guide or a local trainer i shouldn't say guide find a local trainer that is you know they're going to be a great resource for you take a class with them and it'll give a lot of confidence yeah. for those first couple trips yeah it's it's interesting if we if we engage the people that we travel with in the process it always seems to go better. Yes. Uh, the more that we silo our goals and desires and don't engage our families or our partners, it tends to go much worse. So people just want to know, people want to be involved with the planning. They're taking their time to ask your kids what they want to see. Yeah. Maybe, maybe your daughter wants to see the world's biggest ball of yarn and it's only a 20 mile detour. Go and, to the ball. Yeah, go of to the yarn. ball. Yeah. Go to the ball of yarn. And enjoy that part of the experience by doing that with your family. I think yeah. that's really important. You know, you, you may enjoy the trail. I think people tend to, uh, you know, I think at a very broad level, what is the difference between overlanding and four wheel driving? It's the things you see outside of the trail. Totally. That might be controversial, but if you're going 
and you are, um, you're just going to do Hell's Revenge and Moab, or you're just going to do, you know, fins and things. You're not overlanding. I'm sorry. I know yeah, everybody. Just, I know everybody a wants the badge. A day of four wheeling, sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to go and you're going to do um, Lockhart Basin, well, maybe somebody in your car is really into hiking, and there's some amazing places when, once you get back there that have Colorado River access that are that are great hikes. That adds to the trip. That is overlanding. That is it is it is a more holistic travel based view at you know remote vehicle travel and stop take a hike um go check out the the petroglyphs um i was so horrible with this when i first started i i wouldn't get out of the car yeah you know uh, the the idea of of taking my you know at the time ground tent and placing it otherwhere anywhere next to my car you know maybe there's a better campsite that your car can't get to um be be open i think is i think is is really all we are advocating for and and really try to figure out what everybody in the car wants to do. Yeah. Honor the desires of the people that are with you and yeah. you'll end up with a better result for sure. Yeah. Because a car of unhappy people getting bounced around a rocky four wheel drive trail. It's going to come back to bite you. <laughs> it's going to come back to bite you. Like it's, it's just not fun, but. Right. So one of the things that I think is helpful and I still enjoy to this day is buying a couple guidebooks, buying a couple overlanding, getting started with overlanding books. Uh, yeah, we have for those of you that are, here. that are watching the videos. So this one's done by Graham Bell. It's it's Ooh. beautifully designed. Uh-huh. Yeah, great photography. Look at that text. I wish I'd opened to an image. And and a bunch of and a bunch of great insights into travel with a family. They traveled around the world. Four of them in a Defender One Thirty. So a lot of great lessons in that. And then of course the evergreen Chris Scott overlanders handbook, it does certainly go into the weeds of things that you would need for big global travel, but it has tons of practical considerations. And one of the things I really like about Chris Scott is he does not spend money where it doesn't need to be spent. He spends the majority of his money on the experience. So there's lots of insights into spending less, yes. going further with your budget. I um, think he's really practical too. Very practical. Very, very practical guy. Great, great dude. Um, and let's not forget actual paper maps. Yeah, there's such joy in having those paper I, maps. I have to say that, you know, there's all of this talk about how I love Google Maps and uh, these apps. One, always have paper maps because your cell phone can fall and it can break. It can run out of charge. You may have to leave your vehicle. I'm, I'm not trying to paint like this terrible picture of all of these things that can go wrong because, you know, 99.9% of the time nothing is. But I, but I think that there's something special to kind of just like opening a map and you're like, you see a different scale, right? Yeah. Like, oh, okay, cool. Well, this town is close to this town. And then there's this road. Let's check it out. Always, always, always have paper maps. And in today's day and age, Maps are cheap. This is $22. And it, you know, this one particular one is for the state of Montana, but it is, it is quite detailed. Um, they make these for most Western states where um, I, I guess. Yeah. I think it's of, just good to have them in the vehicle and include some of the neighboring states as well. Cause you never know if you want to extend by yeah, yeah. a couple days, I'll use the paper maps to kind of start the day. 
I'll sit down with those that I'm traveling with and say, all right, this is kind of where we're going. And it gives people a... They're great for kids. They're great for your partner. They're great for whoever you're planning the trip with to just, you know, because looking at your own screen, like there's that anxiety of handing somebody your phone or your iPad or, or, or whatever, God forbid, they look through your internet history. But there's no internet history with with paper maps. So it's just a wonderful thing to plan with. I really, really advocate. I know it sounds like a really basic thing, but it's super important. You know, make make sure that they're topographic maps, make sure that they are targeted towards backcountry travel. Um, a lot of the generic atlases that you get from Rand McNally, those are oriented for highway travel. Mm-hmm. That's really what they're meant and and, and designed for. And that's fine. We're and that's one of the things that different. I like about the, the benchmark maps is that they have, uh, the, they indicate what it's private land, public land, national forests. Uh, in, in Arizona, for example, you have to have a permit to be on state trust land. Yes. That's true of many states. So, you know, and Onyx certainly helps with that too. Yeah, but Onyx this, is the best as far, that I found as far as whose land are you on? Can you actually be there? I think their background is in hunting. You know, the, the, the Onyx app is wonderful. We, we've talked about Google My Maps. We've talked about Gaia. Um, I think that Onyx is really, really beneficial for people that are starting from the beginning. When I pull it up in Prescott here, you know, um, they've kind of digitized the forest roads and trails and some of the forest roads that aren't just generic roads that like let's say Smiley Rock, which is a trail by us, will actually kind of be a user review and you can see some photos of where you're going to go, how you're going to do it. It's a great, a great entry-level tool. And not just entry-level because, yeah, I mean, I use it all the call time. me entry-level, I don't care. I, I, I still use it, um, you know, and that's an app that is from a, I mean, I, I think a pretty reputable company that has some cool things coming out in the future. Um, but we should probably get into like the basic equipment that you should Bring with you. That's right. And we, we do have a fairly thorough podcast. It's podcast number 20, where we talk about basic equipment uh, that you need to bring for overland travel. But I think it's important to touch on those key pieces because, again, the goal here is just to encourage everyone and even ourselves to remind Matt and myself that the key is just to go. Just go. And travel the world. See what you want to go see and don't make it about the gear. Don't make it about the vehicle. It doesn't matter what car you've got. Uh, you can go around the world in a Subaru, go around the world in a Honda Civic for that matter. So it's really about getting out there. But there are things that as we start to get outside of the infrastructure of paved roads and cities um, and and uh, travel and, and logistics routes yes. that you need to take into consideration. And I think it's just a matter of being responsible and, and self-sufficient. You don't want to be a burden on the system. You don't want to be going to I mean, how many people go to Moab that are just woefully ill-prepared? You know, they, they don't have any communication. They don't have any maps or navigation. They no emergency supplies, no tools, nothing. You know, they become a burden. And we well, don't want this community to be a burden on local areas. Yep. I think that that's really important. And just so. recently, um, Nina Barlow from, you know, Barlow, they do Jeep rentals. Barlow Adventures, yeah. Yeah, she wrote a story about one of their clients that died recently in the Canyonlands area because he didn't go prepared. He didn't have enough water. He got back to within a half a mile from his Jeep before he died. 
I mean, that is so tragic yeah. to not just take that extra step of making sure you have good communications yeah. or something with and, you. And that is not a reflection on Nina. Nina's business is one of the foremost outfitters, I think. No in the question. Country. I mean, she's, a, she's an I4WDTA trainer. She leads a lot of training. She's a very prepared woman, very talented trainer. Um, you know, she would have run this guy through. Totally. Through, through all of the processes. It, it sounds trivial, and, but yeah. So many people die because they don't bring enough water, particularly yeah. in the Southwest. They, you know, they're, they're, you know, I, I don't want to paint a, a picture, but typically they're coming from a city or, or something like that. I mean, they don't even have to be, they can be anyone, but they, you know, they, they don't figure in the effect of the altitude that's going to happen. They don't affect the, the dryness in the air on the West coast. They don't affect, you know, consider the effect of the sun. And you can the difficulty of the terrain and the fact that you're walking through sand. Uh, yeah, Nino wrote the story. Yeah. Um, it was actually on Expedition Portal. She wrote it as a cautionary tale. Her her team members had asked a bunch of questions, and the guy lied about a lot of it or misrepresented himself in a lot of it. He said he was going with a group. He went alone. Those kinds of things, and he paid the ultimate price. So when we're talking about basic equipment, this is just to be mindful yeah. not only of our own commu- yeah. like uh, the. The easy solution there was the guy should have brought enough water. I'm not getting into the politics of it. You know, we're obviously very, very sorry that this person passed away and our condolences to their family. But um, an easy way around that is a spot or an inreach, right. a personal locator beacon. You know, spots and inreach, I, I really like because, um, well, some spots, but I believe all inreaches allow two-way text message communication. That's a very succinct, accurate way of relaying information. Um, sometimes when you have a radio, there may not be a person on the other end. Um, and you may not have the skills. You may not be a ham operator to know how to reach those people, how to do the repeaters, et cetera. So like an inreach, I think almost all day long, almost no one has an excuse to not have one. I, I don't, I need to get one. Um, a lot of the Garmin devices, Garmin recently purchased inreach right. from Delorme. They bought Delorme or something. You know, like the Garmin Overlander, I think even links with it. It's kind of it cool. Um, but, you know, those things are something that anyone can go buy. They subscribe to the service and and they work. They, they, they allow that communication. If you want to have something that doesn't require a subscription, personal locator beacons work on um, triangulation of frequencies. Um, you know, th- those are those are fantastic too. Um, just don't expect. You know, I, I don't want to say that that's, those are very 1.0. And now we have the 2.0, which is, which is that in reach. I, yeah, they're the personal locator beacons are extremely effective, but oftentimes when someone is under duress, they want more than anything in the world to know that somebody got the message. Yeah. And if you use a Garmin in reach, which is what I like to use, that's based on the Iridium satellite network. It works everywhere in the world. If you have a clear view of the sky, And you can get that ping back saying, and maybe it's just that you, you have too many um, flat tires and you can't repair them and you need to get a hold of a buddy to bring you out just for them to say, no problem. We've got your message. We're on our way. Um, That settles all of those concerns down. You can be very specific about what you need. Um, Maybe you've um, injured yourself. And you need someone to bring an extra driver. You can communicate those specifics. Yeah, maybe, maybe you just need a belt for your car. That's you need it. A serpentine belt. Yep. You know, you don't, you don't need the proverbial 
cavalry to fly in. Right. You need a, you need the local, you know, four wheel drive recovery guy to bring you a belt. Yeah, or, totally. Or, or, or whatever that is, you know, navigation we've kind of covered. Um, that's really important. Maps. Have some redundancy though. Have redundancy. Um, don't, I really like the, the apps. I like Gaia. I like Onyx. Um, I have yet to have a app. Now this is my experience. I have yet to have an app not fail in the field. Um, the offline maps, I mean, they're, they're, they're good, but I have had several significant adventures where I get out day one and all of a sudden there's been an update. I mean, you, you just had that with an app, you know, there's been an update, whether it's the app that was updated or it was Apple or Android. That yeah. For me, it was the iOS update killed, yeah. killed one of the apps and it wasn't recording a track properly. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, paper maps, I think are, are, are huge and, and have a common sense idea of where you're going. You know, don't be one of those people that follows the arrow and never knows which way is North or, or anything like that. And let other people know, let a couple people know where you're going. So that way, if you don't show up in a week, um, there's somebody that starts looking for you and yeah. they at least have an idea of where to go. Yeah. Emergency supplies. We just kind of went over that with, you know, that unfortunate guy that passed away in Utah, but water, water, water. People always have a bunch of food with them. They never bring enough water. Um, you know, I, I having enough medications, for example, having a a properly, um, stocked medical kit and the training to use it. Those are the kinds of medical supplies and emergency supplies that we need to have going along with us. We don't need to be total preppers. We just need to be able to handle those 36 hours ish of problems or that injury that happens, the sprained ankle or the, or the yeah, deep cut. It, the, the reality is that most of the stuff that you're going to encounter is really minor. It's going to be, you got stung by a bee, you had an allergic reaction, you got a cut that got infected, uh, uh, you fell and scraped a knee. Right. Yeah, totally. It, it, it's going to be that stuff. Make sure, make sure your, make sure your bases are covered. You know, there's always going to be somebody out there that is going to be the prepper that is like, well, why don't you have a paramedic level yeah. kit with you? And it's like, well, cause I don't have the time to become a paramedic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a paramedic. I don't know how it's, to use this. It stuff. seems like that oftentimes when when people don't travel a lot, when they don't have a lot of travel, they focus on those check marks of equipment yeah. like that. I've got this, 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 and this, and then their vehicles way over payload. Um, whereas I think the more that we just get out and enjoy it and have fun and laugh with our family, the more we just yeah. don't care. Yeah, just, 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 just bring the basics, the basics to get yeah. out. Um, you do not need a, a lot of the stuff that people are going to tell you that you do need. You need yeah. basic tools. You, you need to be able to, I mean, you need to know how to change a tire. You need to know how to make basic vehicle assessments like, huh, my vehicle, my battery is dead. Why is my battery dead? If, or how do if, I jump it? Yeah. How do I jump it? Um, you know, recovery gear is important. You know, I'm not saying that you necessarily have to know how to repair a flat tire. I think it is really handy to have a bottle of like that slime stuff um, because that can kind of nurse uh, you know, you, you have your one spare and if you have that slime and they even have ones that you can get from Walmart that are, you know, they have a little air compressor and stuff with them. Um, 
Yeah, we're and talking about version spare time. Yeah, we're talking about version two 1.0 of starting overlanding. Uh, maybe in the future we'll have a 2.0. Yeah, but maybe, maybe then you'll have the built-in air compressor yeah. and the this and the that and whatever. But don't feel like you've got to have all of this experience and all of this equipment to go. Have a good spare tire that's the same diameter as the rest of them and it's check that it's got air. Make sure you got an air compressor. It is a good idea to bring along a tire repair kit and have someone show you how to use it. But if you don't, it's not a reason not to go. And I think this also comes back to that engaging the family and engaging your partner. Show them where all this stuff is. Show them where the medical kit is. That's going to start to give them confidence in you. It's going to give them confidence in the fact that you've actually been planning this thing. So when when your husband's nervous and he's in his brow sweating because he's about ready to go on this big trip with you, you can show him, look, dear, you know, I've got the medical kit here. I've got this training. I learned how to do the four wheel drive thing. This is the locking differentials. This is where the toolkit is. Yep. Uh, and then he's going to feel a lot more comfortable about yeah. it. Learn how to lower your tire pressure. Yeah. Those that kinds will of make things, everyone yeah. comfortable. And there's a lot of resources on this stuff on expedition portal. Um, you know, there's vehicle specific forums that have a lot of, a lot of information as well. Yeah, Like I hate mud. Is I a hate great mud is a great tool. one. Um, you know, I, I have to say for, for the moto guys out there, I, I find that adventure rider, ADV rider.com. I can Google or search for the most remote places in the world. And there will be a thread for it on ADV rider right. that says where the gas is. Cause yeah. they don't have the range where the good eats are, yeah. where are the places to the stay, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, use the Oracle, use the internet. Um, yeah, totally. You know, tires, tires are super, super important. Yeah. If you were going to do one modification to the vehicle, tires. make sure if it doesn't come with light truck tires yeah. that you buy light truck tires. And we're not saying you have to have LT tires to go. Um, but if you're thinking about yeah. spending some money on the vehicle and you're looking for the first thing to do that with. A set it. of all terrains tires has very little downside. Yep. Um, you know, oftentimes they can double, you know, if you get the BFG KO2s or you get the Falcon AT3Ws or a few other tires. Those are just the ones that I personally, sure. it's not an endorsement. We're not sponsored by them. It, it, those are just what I've used. I, I like them because they're winter rated. So that's, yep. you know, if this is something that's new to you, oh, well, these tires are going to be better all year round. Yep. That's great. Um, you know, recovery gear, I think is important. It um, is. And, and bring along a way to help someone else get out. So that can be a kinetic strap. I like to bring along Max Tracks for that. Um, in full disclosure, Matt does import the Max Tracks into North America. So you can, if you choose, disregard anything that I say regarding that. But I do bring along Max Tracks because I can use them on my own vehicle or I can walk down the trail even outside of winch range and help another vehicle yeah. get out. If I was to remove myself from from who I am. They, they just don't really require much training and they have very little downside. Yeah. A, a winch can cause, can, can put you in a worse situation. A snatch strap can put you in a worse or kinetic rope can put you in a worse situation. I think if you are a beginner, um, look for things that have less consequence. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. To I think kind of remove myself from that. Yeah. And, and there's lots of tools out there. Use the thing that makes sense to you and fits for your environment. If you're going to go do a, a muddy trail where you know you're going to be winching multiple times a day, it'd be a good idea to bring a winch. Yeah. Um, if you're going to be in the desert Southwest, you probably only need a set of max tracks. Yeah. Um, and, and I think too, you know, I don't want to rag on this, but everybody's, or oh, you need a high lift jack. I, 
it's like 80 pounds of dead weight for most people. 40, like yeah, 45 pounds, 45, <laughs> whatever it is, right? It's it feels whole, like 80. I'll tell you. It feels like 80 pounds when you pick them up. They are very useful when you are trained on them. I will never argue against the utility of them. But for a first time person, it, it is, it is crazy how many people I see that have a Jeep Wrangler, let's say, and they have a, they have plastic bumpers. They have no side sill protection. And they have a high lift jack. Now Can't lift the vehicle from it. Yeah. So, so I mean, I guess you can use like the, they had those wheel chalk adapters. So you could in theory, pick a tire up to throw some stuff underneath it. Um, but you know, you don't always have to have the things that everybody just bolts onto their car. Yeah. That's a, that's a full tank of fuel. Um, yeah. And it does require some training, just YouTube high lift jack accidents. And I think that that's all the description that we could ever give you. Yeah, right I'm all for high lift jacks. Yeah. Great company, you know, very, very useful tool. But you have to have training to use you it. You really do. And that's where. And the vehicle needs to be prepared for using the high lift yeah. as well. It needs to have rocker panel protection that you can lift from that can take the weight of the vehicle. It needs to have metal bumpers, especially ones that allow it to capture the high lift so it can't yep. slide off. Um, there's a lot that goes into using a high lift. Again, we're not bashing the product. We're just saying for your first overland journey, um, use that money, put it in the gas tank yeah, and exactly. go a little, go a little further. Right. And I think that really covers the basic stuff. Again, we do have a lot more in podcast yeah. number 20. Um, but I, I do have a couple thoughts as I wrap up and I know Matt will have some of his own, but I, and again, all of this comes from the fact that I have screwed all of this stuff up myself. We both have. So many times I have, I've gotten upset. I've cut trips short because I was frustrated. I got frustrated at myself. Um, and I have learned through the years to slow down. I've learned to expect less from myself and from the vehicle and from the trip. Uh, if you go into it with this expectation of being able to circumnavigate Africa in two months, you're going to have a really bad time. If you choose to uh, do Namibia and South Africa in two months, you're going to have a fairly good time. So um, slow down, expect less, uh, do less. Uh, Don't be afraid to sleep in. You're not working anymore. Um, Yeah, you have to enjoy it. This is by nature a vacation. Yeah, stay up, you know, bask under the moon until two in the morning, read a book until you finish it and sleep in. And, you know, most of these roof tents and tents, they have pretty good light light uh, protection, Um, you know, make a good meal. When you have people with you taking that time as a family to prepare a great meal that you sourced from local ingredients, or maybe you went to the farmer's market in in Bend, Oregon, and you loaded up before you went out to the Steens and and you're using this local ingredients and you're making this great food. It, It just adds so much to the experience. Leave the mountain house for emergencies and make a great meal as a, as a group. Um, you know, and, Bring things that do enhance the comfort. There's no shame in having a big fluffy pillow along with you. If you can fit it um, when you're on a motorcycle, that's a little more difficult, but bring, bring the pillow that helps you sleep the best. Uh, make sure that you have yeah. the sleep. If you pad. don't sleep, like I, I bring my pillows from home that I put in my yeah, body because I sleep well with them and I know <laughs> I'm going to sleep well with them. Yeah, like, it's that one little connection to home that helps us fall asleep and helps us remember that, you know, that, uh, it's easy to sleep on this because we like it. Bring, bring comfy chairs. Um, now some of them can be ridiculously large, but bring yeah. chairs that are comfortable to sit in. So that way you can sit around the campfire for hours and drink that special whiskey that you got, or 
or finish the book that you wanted to read or just sit and talk with your family. If the chairs, like those little three-legged stools that you, I mean, forget that stuff. It's yeah. just terrible. You'd rather stand. Yep. Um, so bring a comfortable set you, of chairs. You don't over. have to suffer. Yeah, you really you know, don't. That, that's, that's the thing, um, you know. And like Matt said, don't be afraid to take a walk, get away from the vehicle, take it, a hike. Isn't it Barry Andrews? It's like I said remote. I didn't say primitive. That's right. Yeah, Barry, like, I definitely attribute that to him. That yeah. was his, his statement, and that's a great one for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, um, yeah, you know, it is, it is just, just slow down, breathe in, breathe out, enjoy the time, you know, recognize that you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Like, think, think of them, turn the negative into a positive. Oh man, I got stuck here. Okay. Well, I'm going to realize, opportunity. I'm going to realize what I did wrong. Yeah. Um, you get to take that photo from the, for the gram, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, just, I just don't take it too seriously. Be yeah. prepared. There's a difference between being prepared and being on, you know, a military death march. Like I, I I've been on trips with people before where they are, it's seven fifteen. We have to be out of camp. And I'm like, yeah. like, I don't know what it is with camping and people get like very like primal and weird and militaristic, but just chill out yeah. and enjoy it. Cause you are there, you're doing this for fun. Yeah. It's supposed to be fun. You are not on a scientific expedition. You're not shockingly, you're not on an expedition. <laughs> you're on a road trip. You're on an overland trip, call it whatever you want. But the point being you're essentially on a vacation. Treat it as such. Yeah, have, have fun with fun. it. Smile, laugh, enjoy it, make some memories. Don't don't get mad at somebody because you know maybe you've camped a bunch. Maybe your partner hasn't. Don't don't get mad at him for that. Yeah, don't. I mean, yeah, if he breaks the spork, don't don't be upset. Yeah, you don't need it, and, and you don't need a titanium spork to go overlanding. <laughs> Let's just. And on that bombshell, <laughs> thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Take care, guys. And girls.